0: The title of the message is The Other Side of Grace. This is kind of a part two. The Other Side of Grace, The Mature Man. That's the title. Of course, here we are in Ephesians 4, verse 13 down to verse 16. Would would you agree with me, you guys, that the last couple weeks in our country have been a bit bizarre? I mean, what is taking place in our country? Um, I'm kind of once again reminded of that line in the wizard of oz when dorothy says to toto toto we're not in kansas anymore remember that like sometimes i think my goodness gracious what is taking place in our country how many of you had a curiosity you don't have to show your hands particularly those who are over 30 would have ever imagined or ever dreamed that there would be states in, the United St- that in, the, in our country that would legalize marijuana? I mean, how do you legalize marijuana? I think you have to smoke marijuana to le- legalize marijuana. And it's not a laughing matter, is it? But who wants, who wants a doctor loaded, right? Who wants a pilot that, you know, I'm not trying to be gross here, but smoking pot, you know, in the other room. And who wants a surgeon that walks in, you know, red-eyed and, you know, eating his Doritos or something to work on? It's like, geez, it's kind of crazy. Um, and this last week, our Supreme Court has been processing the issue of same-sex marriage, deciding whether to redefine marriage. How many of you know that's taking place at a curiosity, right? And these last few months, one of the great male athletes of our time has come out to say that he is amidst a transition to a woman, but he says he's actually already a woman because he has a soul of a woman, and yet he wants to be referred to with a male pronoun, and it's like so heartbreaking. It's sad, it's confusing, it's heartbreaking. I'll tell you, I wish you could have seen in our home group, as this subject came up, I was watching mothers and grandmothers um, just grappling with how they're actually to respond to their children who are seeing this in the media, right? And of course, you know, one way is we live in a broken world and we need God's grace and redemption in Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? That's very important. And we all need God's grace. Um, we all need his love. We all need Christ. That's why God so loved us that he actually took such drastic measures to reach out to us because there's something fundamentally not coordinated and right and whole. Look, years ago... Author Edward Gibbons wrote a classic on the Roman Empire entitled The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. Have you read that? You know, Rome was one of the greatest empires in the history of man. And the interesting thing about the Rome was that Rome was never conquered from without. It just kind of like imploded, died from within. And Gibbons cited five reasons for Rome's fall. Number one, rapid increase of divorce and the undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home, which is the basis of human society. And the point is, look, if you want to know where a nation's going to be headed or a society or a generation, just look at the home, which tells us, okay, this is my opinion, okay, if, like, the Supreme Court supports same-sex marriage, makes it legal, you can kiss American society goodbye. It's gone, Like Elvis and his mom, as John Foreman said, it's gone. It's done. I mean, there's going to be monster deterioration that is just like, there's no way you're going to get it back unless there's an incredible conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ on a massive scale. You look back in history, according to Gibbon, the fall of the Roman Empire, higher and higher taxes and the spending of public monies on free food and entertainment, that may not hit you right between the eyes, but basically it was like keeping the masses, you know, entertained with free food and entertainment in the Colosseum in Rome. Just just hand out a bunch of freebies. That's basically what he's saying. The third thing is the mad craze for pleasure and sport. Sport becoming every year more and more exciting and brutal, which means it's a reflection of a deterioration of the value of man. It's like, you know, you can turn on ESPN and see women just beat the sweat out of each other, right? I mean, that wasn't the case 20 or 30 years ago. Entertainment today more and more is the drug, is the escape, just like it was during the time of Rome. Gibbon said, number four, the building of gigantic armaments when the real enemy is within, the decadence of the people themselves." And then he said, number five, the decay of religious faith, faith feed, uh, fading into mere form, so there's no power. there's no life really behind it." Now Martin Lloyd Jones, who is this great Bible teacher years ago in England. Commenting on Gibbon's findings said, it's not that we need better laws, but what we need is better natures. Not better instruction, but better spirits and better desires. Now I asked the question, what's happening in our country today? And of course, we are a country of law, but it seems to me we're actually starting to legalize our own self-destruction. You know, recently I read a quote by... A very powerful leader happened to be a catholic leader cardinal francis george he just passed away like a month ago but one of the things he said is sobering and he said it because he believes it and he's concerned he said this i expect to die in bed my successor will die in prison his successor will die a martyr in the public square his successor will pick up the shards of ruined society and slowly help rebuild civilization as the church has done so often in human history. You look back in history, look at Rome. What happened to Rome? It wasn't conquered from without. It just imploded and died from within. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach. It brings decay. It mors. It weakens. It desensitizes. It disintegrates. I think of Paul, the great Jewish Christian leader in Rome, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, he never made it out of Rome. He was martyred there in Rome. But the message of the gospel certainly did. Rome is not in existence today, but the gospel sure is in existence today. You know, the historian Will Durant said, ultimately Caesar and Christ met in the arena and Christ won oh, well, when I say you can kiss America goodbye, I'm not talking about the gospel goodbye because everything is moving towards the kingdom for which Jesus is the king. That's really good news, right? So we need to live in according to just that. Dr. Michael Brown added, many of us will also die in our beds, but because of sleepiness, not because it's our time to go. He said, may God shake us up before it's too late, stand and take action. Now, why did I begin this way? (laughs) Because we're talking about Ephesians 4, basically verse 13 and verse 16. The reason I did is because I wanted to give some context to this passage. Look, I have this dream. (laughs) I, I just have this sense, okay? I don't want to overstate it, that there's going to be an aha moment that's going to begin with believers like us, okay? It's going to be this, like, oh, man, totally, I believe it, I see it, maybe like never before. Kind of like an aha moment in Zechariah 12. When prophesies, when it prophesies the return of Jesus, and Israel looks upon their Messiah as the one whom they pierced, and they like mourn and repent over like, oh my goodness, an aha moment. Jesus has been our Messiah and King all along. Well, the aha moment that I'm talking about is kind of reawakening to the fact that the most innovative and powerful and important influence in the world is the person and work of Jesus. It's the person and work of Jesus in the lives of his people which is known as the church, which is not only universal but local like what we're doing even right now. And it will be a moment that the church of the Lord Jesus recognizes, my goodness, it's, it's the church. It's the work of Jesus in his church that actually is the leader. It's actually leading the way or should be leading the way in our generation. Why? Because the church is the ambassadors of the peace plan for man. Not only having peace with God, being in harmony with Almighty God, but having harmony with our fellow man. Further, the Bible says, Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. Who inherits the earth but the church? It's the body of Christ. And eternity with the Lord. And, and the aha moment will be, gee, it was, it was Jesus it was what he was building all along. It's like his church—that uh, was and is the answer, both universal and local. And I am, I am dreaming that that's going to take place. I actually believe it is. I believe. That there's going to be like this reawakening, like, oh my goodness gracious. You're not going to get better than the person and work of Jesus. Can I hear a big amen to that, right? I mean, the best idea, if you will, doctrine, truth, reality that has ever been experienced by man came out of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago in the person and work of Jesus. Because look, what we're seeing today, in my humble opinion, okay, is we are, of course, a nation of laws, but we are legalizing our own self-destruction, which tells us law is not enough. And this means then, and and leads us to the other side of grace. You say, what do you mean by that? If you go back, please look with me in Ephesians 2 verse 8, Paul inspired by the holy spirit pens you are saved rescued the answer the solution the redemption the healing the shalom you are saved by can someone tell me grace that's a gift it could be said, purchased by Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. You could break in an acronym form, God's riches at Christ's expense. You are saved by grace through faith. You're not saved by faith. You're saved by grace through faith. Faith is the conduit by which I received the gift look up here for a second watch because we talked about this last week two sides of grace this is very important okay so one side is the grace that brings me into a beautiful relationship with the almighty the heavenly father there's not a greater papa than the heavenly father and the bible tells us in galatians 2 that the spirit of christ indwells us we've been it's big metaphor adopted where now we have relationship with the Almighty, we have relationship with the Heavenly Father in Christ, unconditional love. Once he begins a good work, he will complete it. Our Father is awesome. So watch, one faith, one grace brings us close to the Lord. Okay, now, go to chapter four. I want you to see this, and I think we have it up on the screen. The other side of grace, this is what I mean by it. It's found in verse seven. But to each one of us, grace was given. According to the measure of Christ's gift. And therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave, can someone tell me the next word? Gave what? Gifts to men. Look up here for a second. That's a loaded idea. If I could paraphrase it, and we talked about this during resurrection, but you know, if you were living 2,000 years ago in Rome, the greatest, biggest public event you could ever see or ever experienced was a general who's come from a foreign land and conquered that land. You know, that took place in Jerusalem. It was horrible. You know, Titus and his, and his, and his soldiers. You know, well, that's a, I don't even think about it right now, but, you know, conquered a piece of real estate, got the treasures and the people and stuff. And you're marching into Rome. You've brought in the empire Rome is more wealthy than ever. You're distributing the wealth and the gifts to the soldiers and you're distributing the wealth and the gifts of conquering this land to to the country from which you come and in which you are a part of, okay? Now, speaking of this in general terms, the idea here is that when Jesus gave his life on the cross, was buried, resurrected, I mean, he he conquered... <laughs> The greatest enemies that we face, which is sin, deterioration, disintegration, death, separation from God. He conquered it all. Can I hear an amen to that, right? So it's like, you know, it's not a perfect metaphor, but it's like he's marching. He's conquered all of these things, which totally enslaved us and brought us down. Okay, at the same time, now what he's distributing is love and forgiveness and redemption, the penicillin needed in the world. Uh, what he's distributing is like real intimacy with Almighty God in Christ, having relationship with the Father in Jesus. And he's distributing these charismatas. He's distributing endowments to every single Christian to then turn around and be a blessing to others, to strengthen the church, to not only be a blessing to one another, but to impact a generation. How many of you are tracking with that right there, all right? So the other side is that God has gifted every Christian to make a contribution to the church family. And the process of which actually matures the believer who makes the contribution and strengthens the receiver of the gift, strengthens the receiver of the gift, that believer, which means then that every Christian plays a role in the growth of the church. How important then that we're really strong on both sides of grace, because if we're not, we will not grow as God has intended us to grow. I mean, the church then would not be what God has intended it to be. And the world is not going to be impacted as God intended. And, and I really believe, and I'm praying for it, <laughs> that there's going to be like this aha moment or moments or a season in all of our lives where we are reawakened to that. I, I really believe that. Not us only, but believers all over the place. And what this leads us to In one word, okay, and we're going to start looking at this, breaking down the passage. In one word, what this leads us to is the subject of maturity. What it means to grow as God intended. What it means to mature as God intended. Okay? So look at verse 12. Find that phrase, to a perfect man. Do you see that there? In verse 12, when he says there, to a perfect man, it could be translated mature man. And notice it's singular. Now look at verse 14 when he contrasts this, that we should no longer be, can someone tell me, children, which is plural. So you have this contrast between maturity, growth, versus children, which speak of a type of immaturity. Okay, and, we, and the Lord does not want us to be children. In, in, in we'll, we'll explain this a little bit. On one hand, He wants us to be like a child recognizing we, we have need outside of ourselves, a child like faith and dependence on God. But He doesn't want us to be like children stuck you know, in, in, in not moving forward and growing and maturing spiritually and intellectually and, and, and in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That he, he has intended us. To grow. Now there's a big idea here that Paul is communicating, and I gotta tell you, I just gotta hand it to Timothy Keller, good brother there in New York, good preacher, because I think he just totally nailed it. You know, and I'm just reading all these things on this passage and I think, man, he just nailed it, so I'm gonna communicate it to you. I want you to really hear this, okay, as a good Bible student. He says in verse 13, it doesn't actually say till we become mature, it says as we grow in unity. In the faith and in the experience of the Son of God, we become one mature man. We become the mature man. It's singular. It's very strange, he says, and that's why no translation translates it literally. What Paul is saying is, if you are immature, you're infants, plural. If you are mature, you are a person (singular). In other words, the more you become one in community in the church with others, the more you become like Jesus. If you want to become like God, if you want to have this divine life grow and grow into maturity, it only happens when the life of the Trinity is reflected in this life in the community. And that means, by the way, you cannot just drop in on church and expect that you're going to grow. That means also, of course, you also can't be on the outs with people, he said. Wow. I mean, I mean one of our objectives is, you know, when we are studying the Bible, we, we need to have a clear understanding of what the original intent of the passage is, right? So that requires study in the context, in the broader context of Scripture and understanding what the words mean, and so there's this very interesting picture, mature man. And we're going to get to this a little bit later. But it's it's a loaded idea. Oh, it, it's speaking of the fact that God wants us to be mature men and women. Yes, but a part of that totally involves community. How many of you are tracking with that? It totally does. In other words, in other words, it's like here's the metaphor: Jesus is the head; the church is a body. And he wants us to be responsible in the body. We all play a role in the body of Christ in this generation. Jesus is the head. We want to grow up and be under alignment with him and be more like him. Okay, so we want to be that mature man in this generation to the glory of God, which is going to be a team effort. Here's where we're headed. We're going to identify three characteristics of immaturity, which is important. And then we're going to identify four characteristics of maturity. And it will give us very important perspective of where the Lord is actually wanting to take all of us. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> when you were like in grammar school or junior high, I'm curious, did you ever hear like someone say, man, you need to grow up, man. Do you ever hear that out of curiosity? <laughs> Or was it just me was it was everybody just saying it to me right or like there was a phrase and i'm trying to remember if it was a fifth grade or seventh or whatever you're so immature i mean does that ring a bell to anybody you're so immature man like when that would be said to me I, you know you feel you feel slimed by it you know i'm not even so sure what they're saying you know i'm not so sure what it is to be mature versus immature or whatever but i hate it Like you got to grow up man You know, Denim, you're so immature. Oh, please don't say that. You know, I'm not even sure what it means. Of course, there's different types of maturity. A 16-year-old is physically mature enough to drive a car, right? We're all on the same page on that. But sometimes we question, are they really mature enough to, to drive that car in a different way? Do they understand the value of things, like the value of property and technology and even human life? Okay, because, look, here's the thing. If I don't understand the value of things and the consequences of decisions, that's a sign of immaturity. And that's a bummer, right? So you wouldn't want to give what is really expensive or high value or can impact other people to someone who's immature, and we've all been there, by the way, where we don't understand the value of things. I mean, how many 16-year-olds have really bought their own car? Do you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about there? They've never been through that process, so they just don't know what it really takes to get it from the one thing. They're really not looking at, you know, their neighborhood like a young father would, seeing how he drives through the lens of the fact there could be a child in the road. I think we all would agree with this, right? So on one hand, there's physical maturity, but maybe not social or mental maturity. And, and one of the bummer things about someone who's not mature is... Um, they don't get it that they don't get it. And that's one of the problems. So it's like you could try to explain the value and you could try to explain consequences of decisions and stuff. And generally, maturity is going to involve going through processes, being you know, persevering and being steady through them and you know buying your own car or something, understanding the value of things and understanding the consequences of decisions. Aren't you glad you came this morning, you guys? I mean, this is a major, varied message, all right? But here's the reason I mention this, is because every Christian at one time or another, and none of us are complete, none of us are totally mature, but certainly when we first came to Christ, the Bible identifies us as a babe in Christ. First Peter says we were born again, and the second chapter says, therefore, we're like newborn babies, So it's like we got this new DNA, new identity, new trajectory, new relationship. That's awesome. i got to tell you, I love new believers. And they're important to the church to see that new life. Can I hear a big amen to that, right? And not to mention the fact I love human babies. They're so awesome. I'm kind of just totally renewed in all of this recently. Did I tell you we have another grandchild on the way, by the way? You know, I'm a grandfather, right? Of a Greg Denham, new and improved version. You've heard me say this before, right? And then John Paul, number two. And there's another one on the way who happens to be a boy. I can't wait till they call him Greg Denham, the fourth. No, just kidding. Anyway, stupid. No. Do not tell my son I said that. Okay. So here's the thing Um, I love little humans. Because just like you're so tempted to be paralyzed by their cuteness, right? But the thing is, the Lord doesn't want us to remain infants in Christ forever. Because if you have a human being who is only growing physically, but not mentally or emotionally, something's not right. And in a spiritual sense, this is what's called carnality. And Paul was very concerned about the Christians in Corinth as, like, they were, everyone's a babe in Christ at one time or another, but they were, like, not growing. They were in an arrested state of development and growth, but the Lord does not want us to remain there. And here's why. So I want you to start writing some notes down. Number one, here's why. A child lacks discernment. Look, Paul is saying, he, the Lord doesn't want us to be. Children, no longer children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickier men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Right? A child lacks discernment to what is dangerous or harmful. Would you not agree with that? Now, when it says, like, don't, he doesn't want us to be a child, like, carried about with every wind of doctrine, doctrine means teaching. But it carries the idea of what is informing people's lives. And the implication is there can be really bad ideas that can inform a people's lives, their outlook, their priorities, and their values. On the other hand, hear this. You know, uh, a child who lacks discernment, it can be really cute though, right? That's part of the cuteness of a child. Um, like my mother will tell a story. And every time she starts to laugh, her mother took her to a movie theater. I'm assuming she's about three years of age. And she, she reaches down below her seat and she feels <laughs> there's some gum stuck to the seat. And sure enough, she peels it off. She tells the story, she puts it in her mouth. And then she says, and it tasted great, you know. And so she's chewing this gum. Her mom asks, where did you get that gum? It leads to, you know, I got it from underneath the seat. And you're like, it's cute. But then on the other hand, oy vey, you know. (laughs) Like my dad, my dad, you know, he, my sister, I believe, went to be with the Lord. I I have two older sisters and one recently passed away. Uh, And one of the things my dad has, has been saying is, He's just having these visions and these memories of, you know, his girls, his babies. The first two were girls. And, you know, I asked him, how are you doing, Dad? How are you doing emotionally? Because he had to go out to Texas and deal with all kinds of things. I wish I was there with him. But he tells this story, a cute story of his girls, and it keeps coming back to him. You know, they're in the sand lot, and they have these pans, and they're making pies out of the sand. And then my sister Ginny, God love her, you know, he has it on film, you know, po- pokes her finger in the sand pie, and then like goes right into her mouth, you know. So, on one hand, it can be a real cute thing, right? But ultimately, of course, there are some very harmful realities and the need for discernment is huge. George Barna has reported, this is a big need in the church even today to have a Christian mind because he says a Christian mind has succumbed to a secular drift with a degree of weakness unmatched, he said, in Christian history. Barna says this, Christians have increasingly been adopting spiritual views that come from Islam, Wicca, secular humanism, eastern religions and other sources look as a young pastor let me share something with you you know i was teaching in groups when i was 20 years of age so what do you know when you're 20 of course i thought i knew a lot (laughs) more than i really did but i'm reading books and i'm reading biographies i'm reading what other men and women have written and i'm trying to learn things then as by god's grace you live as long as i have you realize, man, those stories are true. I've actually not just read about them in the book. I could actually write about that story too because I've experienced it. You haven't even know kind of what I'm talking about, right? On one hand, you're thinking, "Oh, really? Is that how life is?" And people make those choices, and this is what happens and stuff. And you know, so I've, I mean, I've seen a lot. I've been a pastor here for 26 years, and prior to that, like four. So it's been most of my life, and I've seen a lot. And I've seen the need for discernment, and I've seen the only answer for that need is we need a new mind renewed by the word of God. Just what we're doing right now. I mean, Jesus said to the Father, Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. He said, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples. You'll know the truth. The truth shall set you free. I mean, that passage in Second Timothy, which I mentioned earlier, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture given by inspiration of God, such a killer statement. It's totally proper, like the Tanakh in the New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, totally profitable to identify what is right, stay right, get right, transform your life to impact for Christ. It t- all is. I totally believe it. But here's the thing, if a mind is not being renewed in the word of God, we're very vulnerable. Look, I had a friend who attended here for years. And when he was telling me this, I was shocked. I was thought, I'm not sure I'm hearing him correctly. But he just said, look, I, I've just kind of come to the conclusion that I think as long as you're sincere in your belief, God will accept it. And I'm thinking, am I hearing you correctly? And I did hear him correctly. And I tried to do something about it to help him. But see, that's not in principle getting out of the infant stage there. That's dangerous. Okay, children lack discernment. And the only way we're going to get a sense of discernment, like what we're going to let into our eyes and ears and in our lives that are going to form it is the word of God. Can I hear an amen to that? Hey, you ever get frustrated, you turn on PBS and they're, you know, talking about something at least theological or something about Christianity and it is totally bogus. Have you ever had that experience? Like the lost gospels and all these different things that were written centuries after first century, have nothing to do with the New Testament. Or you go to, you know, see a movie like that movie Exodus. How many of you out of curiosity saw that? Yeah, I'm so sorry. Anyways, you know, it's like total fabrication. I mean, you you would like it to be something accurate, but it isn't, you see. And what he's saying, Paul, is look, children lack discernment. Okay, we don't want to be up and down all over the place. There's a stability that God's word brings to our life. Second thing, a child is self-centered. Remember a few weeks ago, we underscored in verse two, that like the right application of the Christian faith is lowliness or or translated humility. And we learned that it's actually a term not even found in Latin or Greek vocabularies of Paul's day. And it was maybe even made up by Paul himself to try to identify what the love of Jesus Christ looks like. It, it, It speaks of an others orientedness. That Jesus embodied, he lowered himself by becoming a man. He stepped down, he became low to the ground. Look up here for a second. So, in other words, what love looks like is the antithesis of being self-centered. It's others-oriented. And doggone it, I'm going I'm to stand in love and care and be empathetic and, and fight the good fight because it's worth it, because it is an end to, in itself. You love, why? Um, not to try to get something as like a consumer. Love is such an important virtue to be others oriented, to be empathetic, to, to, to care, to be merciful, to be just, because those things are, are right in and of themselves. And I'm just going to do it because it honors God and it's totally right. And, and the answer to self-centeredness, which is such a deadly pit, you know, just always thinking about oneself, always feeding oneself, kind of feeds on itself, is not only a bummer for the individual, but it's a bummer for those who are around that individual. Because that person's always getting their feelings hurt or always feeling slighted or always thinking about others or thinking about them or treating them. And the answer to that is like the love of Jesus Christ in and through your life. Love rescues you from yourself. (laughs) Can I hear an amen to that? It's so true. Someone who's mature recognizes that the world doesn't revolve around them. They're part of something bigger than themselves. They realize, you know, I'm going to get bumped a little bit here and bumped a little bit there, but it's like, okay. And it's just, it's not all about me. And I'm not going to be self-centered. Number three, children lack steadiness and consistency. In verse 14, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro. I mean, children are easily distracted. Okay, I mean, it was one of the keys and actually, you know, we may be out with our children at dinner. Which is not easy when they're young. And if one of them was having a difficult time in their seat or something like that, I would pick, I mean, I could see the thing brewing. I mean, you don't, here's the thing it's very difficult to reason with a two year old, you know what I mean? It's like, could you, could you talk with me right now? Could you, I mean, I think this is so reasonable. I mean, you've got to be aware of other people. This does not work. So anyways, what I would do is I would just distract them. Like, hey, look over there. You know, okay, there's a bird here. Or let's check out that piece of cake or something. I would just pick them up and move them onto another subject. That brought the best ability I could possibly find in the moment. But, but the idea is, look, children are easily distracted. They, they lack a strong attention span. So it could be said that spiritual immaturity, please hear this, is like being convicted, which is a great thing. This is the right thing. I need to respond to it, but I don't allow it to transform my life. So there's, there's compartmentalization taking place. It's like I hear thing, oh, it's right on, but then maybe I walk out of here and it, and it doesn't go home with me as it should to impact and to heal and to touch and transform as God has prescribed. A child lacks steadiness and consistency. I mean, ask yourself, am I more humble or happier, more self-controlled? And do I have more inner peace than I did last year at this time? Because if the answer is no, let me encourage you in something. I want to encourage you that the life of God in you, the life of Christ is far greater than any carnality or arrested state of growth. It's much greater. So there's big hope for all of us. You know, it's been said, Christianity is like riding a bike. You just need to keep pedaling. And the first go around or pedal may be like, I don't want to be a spiritual infant anymore. I want to move forward. I want to trust the Lord in my life because I know infancy lacks perseverance and steadiness and and it lacks discernment and it it lacks consistency. and, And I just don't want that anymore. So if that's you... How do we keep peddling, moving forward in maturity? Let me give you four ways. Number one, spiritual maturity is really being Christ-like. It's being Christ-like. Now please look at verse 13, you guys with me, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a, what's the next word, you guys? To a perfect man, right? Verse 13, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is a really weighty, wonderful verse. The reference to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ is really twofold. Because it's not just referring to being, okay, transformed by the word of God, more like Christ and righteousness and love. And then ultimately the fullness of Christ would be that I would be one day in his presence, glorified in Christ for eternity. That would be the fullness of Christ as well. But it's also referring to a coordinated contribution and growth of all Christians who are making a contribution to the function of the man that is being referred to for which Jesus is the head. So this then would mean that the perfect man or the mature man is is two things. One is not only growing individually more like Christ, more in love with the Lord, more loving others, not like a child, self-centered, all these different things, more others oriented. But in addition to that, please hear me, to be Christ-like would be a commitment to the greater good. It would be a commitment to my brothers and sisters in Christ and it would be contributing the gift that God has given me. Can I hear an amen to that? That is maturity. Second thing, spiritual maturity is stable. Stable. I mean, it's founded on the rock of the gospel, the truth of God's word. You know, um, I wasn't here when my son preached the week after Sunday, uh, Resurrection Day. How many of you heard Pete, out of curiosity, give that message? Okay. Um, But I I knew some of his points. I'm probably do really injustice, but it was talking about getting to the other side. Like the Lord told the disciples, we're going to get to the other side. They go through the storm, right? And they're like, are we going to make it? And his idea was you can either freak out in life or just kind of, you know, just just trust and, you know, and see, I'm blowing his sermon right now. So sorry. But it's like either freak out in life or just you're going to rest and be confident. And and, and if we really ask ourselves, when you know, circumstances are going crazy or our feelings or emotions are up and down, okay, when we're feeling kind of tossed around more often, more often, we are ill-informed, okay, we are. Um, and that's not to say that we don't experience incredible pain. It doesn't traumatize our life because that is totally legitimate because we're not a bunch of Spocks and we don't feel things and stuff. But more often, when we feel tossed by circumstances or projecting in the future, the reality is, is that what's informing our life is not the right information. And as a result, there's a lack of stability. And we really need to make sure that we're sinking Biblically, we're thinking in accordance to the promise of God because spiritual maturity is stable. Number three, you guys, spiritual maturity, this is huge. Actually expresses, all right, jot this down, truth and, can someone tell me, love. Look at verse 15, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Speaking the, can someone tell me, truth in, everybody say it, love. Speaking the truth in love. That's a dynamic duo that has to work hand in glove. If you take one of those out, if you have love without truth, it's deadly. If you have truth without love, it's deadly. They they have to work hand in glove. Look at this in three ways. Let's first ask the question what is truth? That's a good question. What is truth? I mean, I have no idea. We have no idea why we exist unless the one who made us reveals it to us, right? Jesus said, Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. The revelation of who God is is truth. I mean, who, the answer who God is, you know, he's the Almighty, he's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's the truth. The plan that is in Christ, that's the truth. Original design of family and marriage, that's the, everybody say it, it's the truth. I mean, forgiveness is the right thing, it's righteous, and that is the truth according to the will of God. Um, All of those things are the truth. You know what's beautiful, you guys? Seriously, we are celebrating the truth this morning, and hopefully you feel loved by your your pastor, because I do love you. I mean, there's love here too. But I mean, which is like, man, this is the best thing for us. And there is compassion and encouragement that it's implemented in one's life. So, so what is truth? Um, thy word is truth. Who is God is planned for man. Who one is outside of Christ, who one is in Christ. God's original design for family, marriage and the church. I mean, I mean what is love? Love is protective. Love is nourishing, love is selfless, love is others-oriented. Love influences in such a way that it's going to protect one's vital interests. Love is active for the sake that it's totally good, redemptive, and healing, and so forth. If you think about it, what's happening in the church family at this time is you have both a combination of love and truth. Now, it, it, it is also a reality that we've all experienced in life because the basis of our relationship with God is totally a basis of truth and love. The fact that Jesus came and died in your place and my place, on one hand, well, that is a little insulting because it tells me that there are issues in my life that are more troubling than I often think. The fact that it took God himself to die in my place, and thank God that he did. On the other hand, he knows everything about me and he will never give up on me and he'll never give up on you. And it's like if you're going through a difficult time a trial and you're thinking God's punishing you, there is no punishment in Christ. He took all the punishment of your sins already on the cross. Is the father a perfect trainer? Yeah, he's gonna get you from A to B and he's gonna grow you more like the Lord. But every Christian in this room knows the balance between truth and love because that's the basis of our relationship with the Lord. Now, please hear me. The Lord wants this dynamic duo, this combo of truth and love expressed through your life. And here are some ideas, and we're almost done, okay? But here are some ideas that are going to shake up your thinking. But really listen to this. If the reality of truth or love are removed in combo, it's deadly. Because truth without love does not accomplish truth. Because the person who you're speaking to, if there's not a demonstration of compassion, I'm really concerned for your highest good and I want what's best for you. If they're not feeling that, they're gonna harden their heart, they're not gonna listen. In addition to speak the truth without love is not really to embody the truth that God is love and that his love is redemptive, healing and transformative. Love without truth does not accomplish Love, because love is really concerned for what is of one's highest good, what is best for the other person. Here's what helps me wrap my mind around all of this. If you really love someone, you will hate what undermines that person's highest good. But you will make a distinction between those undermining influences and the person themselves so if i sat down with my son you know now they're grown but i just say okay hey pete i totally love you now look you got this decision or these influences like i do not like these but these are not really you and I want you to be protected from these and oh God, I want to fight because I love you and protect you. But if I'm very frank, frank with you, the the idea that love and hate are are not a, a combo is not true because if you really love someone, you're gonna hate what would undermine their highest good. Can I hear a big amen to that? But you're going to make a clear distinction between like, the choice is not good, I'm concerned about it, or that influence is ungodly for you or your family and for your legacy and stuff. You're going to like, look, that's not your friend. on it, we've got to go after that. And how can I help you? Because I want you to make good choices and honor the Lord because this will pull you down. And understanding that I think helps us embody and communicate truth and love at the same time. And finally, let me just say spiritual maturity is is cooperation in a local church family. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in, can someone tell me, love.